Welcome to Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. I'm Kev Jackson. Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors is sponsored by DS Beverages, your Anheuser-Busch distributor in Paul Bunyan Country. Ace on the Lake of Bemidji and Bonded Lock and Key, home for Liberty Safes. Pepsi Nye Bottling of Bemidji, Timberline Sports and Convenience in Black Duck, and Clearbrook Electric. On today's show, a lot of fall and winter fishing talk. We're going to hear from Tony Kennedy on the changes coming to Red Lake. That walleye limit's going to go down to three starting Sunday. We'll discuss that with Tony. We're going to hear from Bro Rosedahl. Bro Rosedahl loves fishing and loves talking about it. We're going to talk about that. But first with Bro, we talk about a very sad subject. His best friend and tournament partner, Paul Nelson, has passed away. Paul, of course, is a well-known in Paul Bunyan Country, outstanding guide. Uh, he was a columnist in the Bemidji Pioneer, had a weekly fishing column for decades, uh, had a fishing feature on Lakeland Public TV for a long time as well, and certainly was one of our big contributors here on Fish in Paul Bunyan Country. And that's where we start the show today is remembering Paul Nelson. Yeah, that, that was a big loss for the fishing industry, and and he was friends to a lot of people. Um, you know, he uh, he carved out quite a niche in the industry, and was uh, famed for catching the, the longest muskie ever caught in Minnesota on Lake Bemidji at the time, 57 and a half inches. Um, and for the longest time, that was the biggest muskie ever caught. And he's been guiding out there. He's, he's, uh, there was over 37 years, maybe 38 years of guiding any fish tournaments. And, uh, I met him on Bemidji. I was actually out there fishing with never formally met, but I was always a fan of his writing. And, and I was, I had a, a little spot cornered and I was hammering fish for my clients and we actually had a triple and, uh, he, he was there. He couldn't get in and, and, uh, well, afterwards I met him and he was laughing about that. He, I said, well, you left. And he said, you don't want that to happen when you're with clients. And he went and hammered him on another spot, but later we became tournament partners and it was more fun. It, it was so much fun fishing with him. We, it was our, we had to remember we're in a tournament, you know, we're, <laughs> we'd go off and fish spots by ourselves and, and, uh, you know, granted it, it was, it was funny. He was taken, uh, early in life. I think he, in his fishing career, he it was pretty sad, you know, in the last, his wife, uh, passed away from cancer. So he had a really tough fight with that for six years. And, you know, he was, a, he was a good guy and he, um, he was very intelligent. He was a double major, um, and he taught a lot of people to fish with his column, and he never missed a column. I, I talked to the editor, and he said that he was always on time, and if he committed, he did stuff. And, you know, he was a little bit uh, going through a lot of stuff, and um, he might have been more quiet in the last years, uh, but that there's a lot. He, he didn't want to burden people with what he had going on, so... Uh, he would just kept quiet, you know, and people who talked to him said he was absolutely hilarious and he was, it was hard to open up sometimes, but you now imagine going through that. How would you be, you know? So mm -hmm. I, I, it's a, it's a sad thing and it shocked a lot of people, but he was, he suffered from treatable cancer and, and with, uh, low platelets and, um, uh, you know, and, and he was taken in his sleep and uh, he had a lot he's given a lot to the world and he had a lot more to give and those of us who have met him and and had time to fish with him or just chat with him you know he's he's been something for everybody i really really like paul and it was uh you know when you first 
talk to him first do interviews you got to you know, you know, learn about people and and he he was a little reticent he's a quiet guy but once he feels comfortable with you you found out he was passionate about so many things not only fishing but he was and he was passionate about the environmental side of fishing and the environmental side of, of life up here uh any other sport he he was passionate about the twins and the vikings and, and you're right he had a wicked sense of humor he, he did and there's a lot of times in a, in a tournament we're off just laughing and catching fish and not even realizing how many we're catching and uh uh, we had a great time. He, he hated it when I'd swing a fish in, especially during a tournament. So I, what, what do I do? I'd swing in every one I could, <laughs> even 19s and 22 inches. I'd swing them up and grab them. And, but um, he uh, he knew so much about sports that I don't. I'm sorry, uh, not a sports guy. Um, I'm, I'm a fish crazy guy. When I'm not fishing, I'm fishing. But I remember having sports celebrities in my boats and can't remember who they were or what team they played on and it drove him nuts and uh even having like you know football players basketball coaches and he would guess who they are just based on what i would describe them to him you know and and so i think actually the the people did like that i didn't know who they were these celebrities and uh but he it would drive him nuts because he knew everything about him every statistic and super passionate about all that stuff and uh, raised uh, two great daughters, him and Sandy, and there's talk about a couple intelligent daughters with uh, medical backgrounds, and uh, one runs a bunch of uh, uh, dental clinics in the cities and is super organized, and, and the other one was a nurse here, and, and uh, just just great people, and so uh, they, he, he leaves behind two daughters, but um, he's he's affected a lot of people, and um, you learn stuff even uh, about writing as another writer from his angles, and I've learned so much. And then I appreciate the time that I've spent. And you know, it's even p- people who are influenced by him. I've been told here in the last week they couldn't believe he's gone, but you, you didn't hear much about him. But they still, the time that they talked to him, they really enjoyed it. And and he told it like it was. Mm-hmm. Which is great, and he um, was appreciated by uh, Frable, Northland Fishing Tackle, and, and other companies, and helped out on shoots with the lenders. And uh, uh, you know, as Bill Bill Linder I talked to the other day said he was just a stand-up great guy because if if he was going to deliver on a fishing promise, he always made it. He made it happen, no matter what. And, he, and some people cave in, but he always makes it in. He's, he's fished tournaments for years, uh, walleye tournaments, and even northern pike tournaments. And, um, and I, I got to fish some with him, and he fished some with uh, Chris Haley, who works over uh, at uh, the college. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and we all have Paul stories, so we have Paulisms and Paul stories, and, um, and there's a lot of funny stuff. Um, but, uh, you know, he... Uh, nobody understood in the boat when we were fishing we'd fish off on our own because we would just like to poke at each other all day <laughs> and it doesn't get any more fun than that and then you got to turn it off when you're out in the real rest of the world because they don't understand it but it's it's that jocular fun that you have and you're out fishing and uh, and he's got, he had a great sense of humor but he uh he was carrying a huge burden and never let us have it yeah and and you mentioned that you know he did a lot of other things um, 
took veterans out, took uh, people who who otherwise wouldn't get a chance to go out and, you know, never never trumpeted it. A lot of times people didn't even know he was doing that stuff. Yeah, he, he, he didn't want credit for that stuff. He just did it. You know, there's people who couldn't drive. He'd drive them to get groceries or whatever they needed. or um, And then people who, you know, a veteran, I remember a couple of them, uh, that he would, they would talk his ear off for an hour, but he would always talk to him. Uh, and you know, he was just there for so many people. Um, and I don't know what they're going to do. Yeah. Well, he was a, he was a great guy and he was a great guest on the show. He, he really brought some good insights in particularly once you got him going and he was uh, feeling comfortable with you. He would, uh, he would share some really, really good vital information, whether it be just on how to catch a fish or, you know, as as you noted, smart double major knows what's going on. You know, some of the long term implications about the way things were going. He was just uh, just one of those uh, guys who knew a lot about a lot of things, and uh, definitely going to miss Paul. Definitely going to miss having him on the show. Well, he truly understood fish. He yeah. truly did. Where in in tournaments, a lot of tournaments are one are, are so mechanical technology, and someone that has lots and lots of time driving around. He would find these spots with his mind, and he knew it. And and you see it a lot of times. It's 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 just a field of mechanical, and uh, and he knew it without that. You know, granted the tournaments got tougher, but people were really after it. Small tournaments became almost a, a professional level because uh, and repeated fishing. But before all that stuff, before he just knew where fish were and he knew why and. And I think he taught everybody through his columns. And as soon as he'd know something, he would bring it out. And I think I've had people tell me they appreciated him. And and even there's some out uh, that are in temp, or, uh, you know, in, in per, not impersonating, but using his style out there in in other newspapers in different places. And even told him, and he he said again, Matt, he said that's great, you know. Mm-hmm. But he's a he was quite a person. He also deer hunted and and grouse hunted a little bit, but. He always had luck with the deer and always ran into a few bucks uh, with his, uh, you know, every year while he was out hunting. And uh, even one of his daughters hunted with him. But I had a chance to to hunt and fish and joke around with him. We've been on sponsor shoots and um, and shared some of the same sponsors. But uh, he was good for advice, too, uh, on a lot of life things besides fishing. You know, I uh, just because you fish don't mean you're good at office or business and uh you know, so he is definitely uh, uh, a good person, and, uh, and probably should have been in the Hall of Fame for all the stuff he's done for uh, Minnesota and fishing. All right, bro, I appreciate you opening up and uh, and uh, sharing some thoughts on Paul Nelson. Uh, again, great guide and a great interview here on Fishing Paul Bunyan Country, and a great guy. Thanks yeah. a lot, bro. We appreciate that. Yeah, he, he was my best friend. I talked to Paul Nelson many times over the years on Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. Got some great insight and some great advice. Several years ago, I did a feature with a number of well-known anglers in the area called Why Do You Fish? And I thought this might be the appropriate interview to play back because it just it's Paul talking about something he was so passionate about. Paul Nelson, why do you fish? 
you know, I got started. My grandpa and my older brother were avid anglers. It was something I started doing as a young age. I had people show me how to do things the right way from the very start. I remember my grandpa would look for the cabbage weeds before you had sonars, before you had the other sophisticated equipment. He'd have the younger kid looking up at the front end of the boat. We'd be looking for the tall stuff that looked like corn down there. And as soon as it would disappear and see the outside edge, we'd go up a little bit and throw out the anchor. And that's where we'd fish. And he had us fish in the outside edge of the cabbage, which was a place where you can catch lots of everything. I just got hooked at a young age. I came to the Bemidji area because my grandpa had a small cabin on a lake up here with an outhouse, nothing fancy, but he built it himself in the 30s. The best part of my summer was being able to come up to the Bemidji area to my grandparents' cabin. I'd get up early before anybody else would get up and sneak out of the cabin. We had a kind of a rusty spring or a bangy door, so I'd get up and be real quiet and be able to get out there so I could go out and I'd be the one that would be able to run the motor from a young age and then I'd have to come back in once it got light so they wouldn't get mad at me. So I I just got hooked at a younger age. I was blessed to have an older brother and a grandpa that showed me how to do stuff. And my older brother took me with, and I went on a Canadian trip with him somewhere between ninth and 10th grade. And we spent 42 days on an island. He had a college roommate and another friend of his, so there was four of us. And I mean, man, I look back, that was still the best summer of my life, 1972. So I've been hooked a long time. What keeps you coming back? It's always something new. It's a challenge. A lot of fishing you can prepare in your head and it's kind of a thinking game too where whenever you get the different conditions and then also it's under the water so you can't really directly see you get a peak with the sonar and with the other things it's just a new challenge every day and I like to fish for all different species I've had my phase where I went out and musky fish now I would almost just as soon fish for bluegills or perch because I like to get bit more I just love the sport I enjoy fishing with other people and it's a job for me too although it doesn't really feel like a job except if it's 90 degrees out with dead flat (laughs) calm. You know, some of those days it gets a little bit old, but most of the time I'm very happy to be doing what I'm doing when I'm on the water. Did you ever imagine this would be your career? I guess when I got out of college, I started to work at Zen Sporting Goods when I moved up here at first, and it was kind of what I wanted to do. I didn't know if I would be able to do it. Again, I started early, so it was a hope. I didn't know that it would turn out to work that way. I married well. My wife makes more than I do, and she's got a good job too, so I wouldn't have been able to support a family and raise kids on what I make, but my wife and I make enough and we were able to one of us be she's an accountant so she's real busy in the winter I'm more busy in the summertime so there's always at least one parent for our kids raised a couple of good kids so it's been a good life so far that's always great to hear stories like that Paul Nelson thank you so much you bet a moment of silence for one of Paul Bunyan country's great anglers the late great Paul Nelson Later in today's show, we'll check back in with Bro Brosdahl, find out how the fall fishing bite has been and what he expects for ice time. Speaking of winter fishing, a little more restrictive on Red Lake. Starting Sunday, November 1st, a three fish limit, one over 17. We'll talk with Tony Kennedy, the Large Lake Specialist out of the Bemidji Area Fisheries Office about that next. This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. back to Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. Tony Kennedy is the Large Lake Specialist out of the Bemidji Area Fisheries Office. He joins us today to discuss Red Lake. Starting Sunday, Red Lake will go from a four-fish limit to a three-fish limit. 
with one over 17 for the rest of the fall and winter fishing season. Tony, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Kev. Let's just talk about Red Lake. And I think one of the reasons we had to do this, Tony, is because there's been just so darn much success on that lake. Yeah, fishing's been really good. Um, we had a, a really good summer, um, and we're on pace to have a really good winter last year uh, until we got all that snow and kind of slowed things down. But um, but the bite early winter last year was great and um, strong really through even early July this year. It, it, the bite hung on a little better uh, than normal, and then it kind of went in the tank like it usually does in, in August. But there was a pretty decent fall bite up there, too, for the guys that got after it. So we've had uh, plenty of fish caught, and I, and I think if you go back uh, to the winter before this most recent one, that goofed everything up. But that winter prior, uh, the pressure on that lake uh, during the winter uh, ice fishing season was unbelievable. Yeah, we've been pushing 2 million angler hours a year here for, for a few years, or real close. So definitely a lot of folks getting out there and enjoying it, catching a lot of fish, and um, you know, so far everything's still looking good. But you've decided that we needed to tighten up the regulation a little bit uh, starting, uh, is it November 1st? November 1st, yeah. So that was that rule was written last spring, and it was set to trigger based on our spawning stock biomass, which is our measure of reproductive potential for the lake. And so we met with our citizen advisory committee last spring and said, you know, we got, we got kind of lucky last year with the snow that shut the fishing down, or, or we maybe would have harvested more than we had wanted with the four bag last winter. And so we knew that in a normal winter season that that four bag was probably going to be a little bit um, too much for the current spawning stock biomass level. And so we set the regulation for this winter to trigger based on whether we were in what we call our optimal spawning stock condition or our surplus. Uh, so because we were in optimal again, um, we triggered that down to a, a three fish bag limit. Had we been in surplus, it would have been a four bag limit. So, so that's kind of how it's set up. Talk to me in non-aquatic biology language. What do we mean by optimal and surplus, and, and, and what's the big difference there? Sure. Yep. So, um, so obviously optimal is what it sounds like. That's, we believe that optimal is the best amount of spawners or a mature female fish in the population to get good reproduction. Uh, we, we were in surplus for a lot of years. We've actually been trying to pull the mature population down a little bit. Um, there was... Densities were very high up there, and we were seeing a kind of a little bit of a shortage in perch. We wanted the forage to have a chance to recover. Um, and so we finally were able to do that with some more aggressive harvest over the last few years. Um, got spawning stock biomass down to the optimal condition. Um, we're not sure. We haven't got a real good look at the 2020-year class yet because of the high water we had this year. So next year, next fall, skill letting will give us a good look at whether or not we were successful in producing a strong year class from the, the reduced spawning stock. Um, so we are in optimal again, which is good. That'll give us a good uh, chance to produce a strong year class again next spring. Um, but the way our harvest management is set up in our agreement with the band is when we're in optimal on our condition, we can take two and a half to five pounds per acre of walleye harvest. And when we're in surplus, we can take five pounds to seven pounds. So um, depending on how many spawners we have out there, we can be more or less aggressive with the regulation. So... And again, uh, this is complicated stuff, and we're, you know we're not uh, aquatic biologists or or study this at all. But how does one determine um, that those numbers, and how does one determine what the recommended uh, take limit would be to make it get get where you want it to be? 
Sure. So we wrote the, the original harvest plan for the Red Lakes was written in 2005, right before the fishery reopened in 2006. And as you might imagine, um, both the band and the state were greatly interested in being very conservative with that plan and not over-harvesting right off the bat when it reopened. And so after we had harvested for 10 years from 2006 to 2015, uh, we looked back at the number of fish we'd harvested each year, how the population had responded in our netting results, as well as uh, what our spawning population was and how strong the year classes were produced from those levels of spawning stock. And we sort of see this, um, this uh, imagine a line with sort of a hump in the middle, the, the top of that hump. Would, uh, is giving us the strongest year classes. So we want the, the spawning population to be at a level that aligns with the top of that, um, that hump in the shape of that graph. So um, it was basically through observation over those first 10 years uh, where we've been harvesting. And then we set those harvest levels based on that relationship between the number of females we get and how strong the year class is. Can you give uh, like a rough estimate? So so we're, we're going to we're gonna drop down to three uh, starting November first, and uh, and and do we know how long this regulation will stay in place? Yeah, so the three fish bag limit will just be for the winter season. Um, it'll go from November first through the end of the fishing season at the end of February, and then on fishing opener, it will be a four fish bag limit again, um, with one fish over seventeen inches allowed, just okay. like we had this past summer. Uh, and that's done because winter fishing pressure, as we know from the wheelhouse explosion and and. And, you know, with all things COVID going on and fishing pressure has been up across the state, we anticipate, you know, heavy winter fishing pressure as well uh, this year. So the I think there's a lot of things pointing to the three-fish bag limit being the right move. It's not because we don't have enough fish out there. It's just that, that that more elevated level of harvest is when we're in a surplus condition. It's sort of bonus opportunity, whereas harvest in the optimal condition is, you know, maybe more typical or normal. So you're just... You are making adjustments to maintain the sweet spot, basically. Exactly right. Yep. We're trying to, to be in that sweet spot as often as we can. Environmental conditions have a lot to do with how well walleye reproduction goes and how much survival we get from the eggs that are laid. And so what we're trying to do is create the right, the optimal conditions so that when the environmental conditions are good, we get that strong year class produced. Uh, we, we can't control the weather. We don't know how spring will play out each year, but if we can have the spawning stock in about the right place, it gives us the best chance to produce a strong year class. And I, I wouldn't even begin to know the math, but I can ascertain that, you know, the number of people that have fished on that, like the number of four fish limits that would typically come out on a, on a strong winter season, you take that uh, one, one fewer fish per person per limit, uh, that, that's a lot of fish. Yeah, and, you know, Red Lake is kind of unique in where, you know, a lot of times real subtle bag limit changes don't have much of an effect, but the bag limit is reached so frequently on Red Lake that those small bag limit changes actually do have a pretty big effect. Um, so last winter, uh, we took about 120,000 pounds, and I would anticipate that I mean, with increased fishing pressure and you know, more folks up there and, and a winter season that's not cut short by snow, we might take 120,000 pounds even with the three-fish limit. And that would be fine. Um, you know, we're not, we just don't want to get into the 130, 40, 50 range for the winter season. We want to make sure there's enough fish left for the, for the open water anglers. Um, and, and I know this announcement just came out fairly recently, but again, you had worked with, uh, with people in Red Lake and, 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 and they knew that this type of thing could be happening. 
What kind of response have you gotten so far? Have you heard anything from the band? From, from the from the band, from uh, anglers, from whoever. Oh well, well the Waskish, you know, the local businesses have been very supportive. Um, many of them sit on our citizen advisory committee. Um, anglers, it's it's been mostly positive response. I can't think of any negative response we've had yet. Um, you know, a lot of people said, "Good, it's going to be less." There's a lot of people up here. We need to be cautious. So um, we haven't had any you know major fallout from the from the announcement here. Okay, and you know, I I wouldn't anticipate a major fallout because. One of the things that I really enjoy about, uh, you know, working and discussing fishing and being part of the industry, even from my outside perspective, is is the fact that people are passionate about it here, but they're also pretty smart about it here, and they really want to do the right thing. Yeah, our anglers are very knowledgeable. Um, you know, they, they know what's going on. They see the same patterns we see. You know, our information is coming from their fishing reports that they give to our creel clerks on the lake, so... You know, so what we're seeing is reflecting what they're seeing, and um, uh, yeah, it's been a good relationship between the, the local businesses up there, the anglers, the guides. Um, you know, and um, I think everybody is sort of in agreement that Red Lake is in a is in a good place, and we want to make sure we keep it there. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, the reproduction has been pretty amazing. Uh, there has been really no, I mean, even a bad year on Red Lake is still pretty good reproduction. Yeah, that lake has an amazing reproductive capacity, um, you know, lots of shoreline spawning habitat. And uh, as long we've, what we've seen is that as long as we have sufficient number of spawners, we, we tend to get, you know, good to really good reproduction. And so, um, you know, just average year classes have sustained that fishery just fine, but it is nice to get a, a bump of a strong year class that comes through every now and then that really drives catch rates up. It doesn't always change harvest all that much, but it, it provides a lot of that. Um, high catch rate uh, action that a lot of people are looking for. You know, the wheelhouse phenomenon has a, a couple of things. The the one thing is it has definitely put a lot more pressure on a lot more lakes. On the other hand, it has introduced a lot of people, because of the comfort level of them, to to ice fishing and fishing in general that maybe wouldn't have, and that's and that's never a bad thing. Right, yeah, there's a lot of families. Um, you know, when, when we were up there, when I fill in for our creel clerks and, you know, see folks coming off, there's there's lots of families. Um, guys with their wives or girlfriends, um, just spending time on the ice with people that maybe wouldn't be out sitting on a bucket. So uh, I think I think it's good to it's been great for the industry. Absolutely, and and uh, and, and again, this year has I think been a, a real boon for people discovering fishing, or in a lot of cases, rediscovering fishing, uh, as they were looking for some of those good things they could do in a year like this. Um, hopefully this is a start of a long-term trend. Now that they've got a taste, hopefully they keep it up, even when everything else maybe at some point goes back to normal. Right, yeah. I mean, what better thing to wait a social distance than to get out in a boat with your immediate family or, or a close friend and, and just spend some time out there on the on the water or, or in a fish house this upcoming winter. And there might even be a little teleworking going on from some ice castles would be my uh my presumption. I would, uh, I would. We won't tell the bosses that. <laughs> no, no. Hey, as long as you're available for the Zoom meeting, who cares where you are? That's right. <laughs> well, I know that you uh, actually uh, have been out doing a little duck hunting. How's the duck season been for you so far? It's been pretty good. A um, little bit hit or miss, but uh, there's been some pretty good push of birds with this early cold weather we've gotten here. And, you know, I managed to time it right on a couple days and then a couple days, maybe not quite so much, but. Um, there's definitely birds in the area. Okay, well, that's, you know, and, and that's the sad thing about 
duck hunting as beautiful as the weather is it's not necessarily the best time to go duck hunting when it gets icky and it gets ugly that's when the ducks are flying right that's right yesterday morning was about zero degree wind chill and uh you know pretty strong winds and it was a little it was a bit of a cold fit and for whatever reason they weren't that interested in decoy i saw good numbers of birds but they were not overly interested in our decoy spread but but you win some and you lose some and you know we've had some good shoots too so okay anything else going on we should be aware of no, I don't think so, Kevin. It's just I'm looking forward to a really good hard water season on, on red. I'm not really sure when it'll start. It's going to warm up here again now, but, you know, the water certainly has cooled off. So I would, if we get some even seasonal weather, I would think we'll be out there, you know, late November, early December, like we have the last few years. And uh, hard water or soft water, uh, it doesn't seem that there are any concerns uh, about anything on Red Lake right now. The fishing, fish numbers are healthy and populations are healthy. Everything seems healthy. Yeah, we're getting ready to have our, we mentioned the band earlier, and we have our one of our um, coordination meetings with them coming up in about a month or so here where we get together and share information. And um, their fisheries director and I will put together a technical committee report. Um, and we've started the data sharing process here, and, yeah, things look good across the lake. So nothing but good news coming from Red. Tony Kennedy is the Large Lake Specialist out of the Bemidji Area Fisheries Office. He takes a look at the Red Lake and spends a lot of time with, on that lake and the Cass Lake chain as well. Tony, thank you for your time today, and uh, enjoy the uh, hunting and fishing seasons. All right, thanks, Jeff. This is Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors. I'm Kev Jackson. Time to check back in with Roblo's dog. Bro, it's been too long. Thanks for uh, stopping by today. We appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about fall fishing. Um, I'm not a big fan of this weather, but I know this is like shirt sleeve weather for you. Oh, yeah. Well, I've, I've been known to have my windows open even <laughs> in the middle of winter when it's 20 below because I like fresh air, and you can always dress. You know, granted, my, my fingertips get colder than they used to, but they should. I'm getting older, you know. <laughs> That's right. Well, if we can endure the weather, uh, certainly fall is typically one of the best times to fish. Uh, how how's it been so far this autumn? Uh, you know, it started out really phenomenal, but ahead of schedule, like uh, two weeks ahead of schedule, I thought the fall bite was on, and it still it was like summer still, and the loons were flocking up everywhere. Uh, like there was so many of them on the big waters. I knew something was coming because as soon as those loons flock up like that, we're about to get walloped, and we did. It got cold, and it didn't just we didn't just get a dumping and then it's over. It got we got snow, so the ground is cold. Then it was cold, and it's long enduring spans of weather of cold weather. And the whole thing is, even during the cold weather, I had a few trips with some hardcore clients that wanted to go and. It was well paid off. I mean, somebody's water really slowed down. I thought uh, lakes like Cass was a lot slower than normal, um, really slow, as a matter of fact. It never really had a fall bite. They just disappeared. And now if we would have had the NWC tournament during that, there wouldn't have been very big weights. <laughs> and um, when, the, when that lake decided, you wouldn't even think there's a living creature in that lake uh but other lakes like leech lake phenomenal phenomenal you know was such a tough claw and scratch bite all summer absolutely spectacular and now we all know where the fish were 
they're they're so heavy for their sizes, whether it's an 18, 19, 20, or 25 incher. They're way heavier and way heavier. Their their weights are actually heavier than normal, hmm. so the fish look beautiful and and they they really bit like crazy. Big schools of fish, and that has since kind of gone away. But there's still pockets of fish out there, and people are getting them. Though accessibility is getting tougher because the, the accesses are crusting over, and you might have to break some ice to get out there. The duck hunters are running into that right now. Uh, a lot of the shallow sloughs where the ducks hang out uh, are going to rivers or open or water areas, and the duck hunters are having to break through ice. But our fall was slightly robbed from us with weather, and let's hope that we get ice and we don't sit in purgatory not having uh, ice or way to get on it, on right. water. Where would we, if we can get out on the water right now and do some fall fishing, where are we going to find them, and is it jig and minnow still? Jig, that's a, that's the best part. Jig and minnow is awesome. And if you're going to go out on Leech Lake, uh, I'd go with a lighter jig. Those fish do carry it around a little bit. When when you get a bite, if you're using a rainbow or a shiner or a small red tail if you, or whatever you can get, don't don't not go fishing because you don't have really good bait. But a thicker minnow is better this time of year because a lot of your young of the year fish are bigger. Um, and a 16th ounce is good for about every situation out there on a windy day, maybe a quarter. But if you're fishing any kind of rocks, uh, the line's going to go through and your jig isn't, so it's going to get snagged in the rocks because they're round rocks, and so the line always slips through. And, uh, using a live bait rig, I tend to use a split shot uh, with a, a bigger hook if I'm uh, pulling a sucker minnow or a chub through, and uh, that's been working uh, the best to still jig in a minnow. A fireball jig, a short shank is nice in the rocks. Long shank jig, if you're fishing sandbars, um, the bite from west to east, you could fish anywhere that you could access and you'll catch fish. And a lot of them aren't, aren't deep. I mean, you don't have to fish on leech deeper than 12 feet of water. There's still a lot of shallow fish. And this time of year, the white fish come in to spawn. Their they're, uh, spawning is triggered by a cold temperatures when the water gets in the low 40s they move into the green weed beds and spawn and of course walleyes and all the the, the, the muskie anglers out there will be chasing after them up into those areas what other lakes uh, have you heard good reports from lately it's it's actually uh it quietly it's been pretty good up at lake of the woods it's been more of an earlier bite at the gap of course um it's just absolutely loaded with fish you better have some good gloves because you're going to be dealing with a lot of fish, bring it tall. There's a lot of reports of 50, 60, uh, 70 fish catches in shallower water, not real deep, but there's so many small fish. They're kind of, it, it, it's a lot of fun. It's like perch fishing, and then all of a sudden you hook into a big one. And mm-hmm. the Rainy River is, is always good. I've, last year I fished Rainy up until um, the first week of deer season, and the, the only bad thing is be careful when you're, you're backing up. If you go slide, you can slide your whole rig into the water. So t- talk to your bait shops and before you go to make sure an access point is safe and salted. And uh, a lot of times they do that for you up there. Uh, other bodies of water, Walker Bay is open usually until December. So one of the last places you could access any body waters in the town, the town park there in uh, walker and from there you could go just about anywhere um and there's a lot of fishing just in a 
within a mile or even 10 miles of there. So this is where I like to have windshields. And, you know, I got a windows on my Ranger in the time of year where I don't need to be tough. Let me just be behind my window. <laughs> <laughs> well, but uh, I've ran a tiller for many years, too, though. Okay. Well, you know what? Um, this is a time of year also where, you know, there's not a lot of guys out there. A lot of them are started hunting already. And then as the temperature drops down, uh, the wimpier amongst us, that would be me, uh, say we don't need to be out there. So if you can tough it out, you got plenty of water uh, all to yourself. Well, and, and it's been really good. Now, with the hurricanes we had a few weeks back, and, you know, we've had a lot of them come through uh, the Gulf. They don't stop there. They come up here and they bring these highs and lows in barometric pressure that just shut the fish off, but you can still catch them. Uh, even on my slowest fishing days, people will get a limit of fish or they'll release a couple big ones, and you can't catch them if you don't go. But here's the only down thing for me, it's not the cold because you can dress for it. It's warmer than when you go ice fishing. you know. So you got to get it in your mind. If this was ice, a day on the ice, you'd go, wow, this is a heat wave. But it's on water, so you get that dampness. But dress for it. You know, have have a winter suit. I, I use fish monkey gloves, so I don't have cold fingers. Never take them off. I bait hooks with them and everything. Um, the only downer for me is the salt on the roads, and I just can't stand it because uh, no matter how I wash the boat afterward, everything freezes up. But the salt on the roads eventually gets to your boat. So I do have a, a 1988. 681 with a 60 horse tiller that i'll use okay. and uh, when the roads get overly salted and that's my uh boat for sneaking around rainy river but trust me just because i'm in an old little boat doesn't mean it's not tricked out i have a talon i have a uh, a helix 12 inch with side imaging and i have an altera self-deploying motor uh, just gotta make sure you're ready to thaw stuff out i'll even bring a cooler of uh, hot water in case i have to thaw something out Okay. Yeah, that uh, is probably something you need to be aware of this time of year, particularly this year. Oh, absolutely. You know, your front trolling motor, if it's a self-deploy, you gotta, you might have to throw a little bit on there so it, it, it can break loose. You know, that's hard on it when it's trying to push it off. But, um, or I'll just use, I got a, uh, you know, just a, a Maxim on the back, an old Maxim Minn Kota, and works good. But uh, this time of year, uh, on most of your lakes, you could actually anchor up or you can, uh, you can drift. But what I don't like about drifting is being on the fish and, and then saying, Oh, they're back there and you're still drifting. I see people drift country miles and once in a while you see someone get one in the distance, but it's always right when they go through the honey hole. So I like to be near the fish instead of getting a fish every pass. I want to get a fish every cast. That's kind of my way of thinking and uh, so uh, being near anchoring and obviously if there's a lot of boats working in area then get off to the side and pitch in there is is a way to do it all right so uh, we are uh, in fall fishing pretty soon it's going to be ice fishing weather and and that's become such a popular sport uh, the last uh, five to ten years and boy after last year i know there's a lot of people hoping for a much better ice fishing season last year was kind of a catastrophe having all of that that heavy snow heaped on the ice, it rendered the ice mucky and, and, and really deep slush. And, and I've seen it over and over, people coming from out of the area. They're on the farm in Nebraska or Iowa or 
wherever they come from, or uh, southern Wisconsin, and they got the big side-by-side on tracks. Well, this thing's unstoppable. Well, it's unstoppable in the store when you bought it, but, no, you take it and throw that in slush. I help so many people out there uh, that that blew a belt and find out that they got to lay down in the water to try to change it. Well, they're just done. So recovery services made a lot of money last year. The best thing in all conditions is a snowmobile, long track sled. And, and you know, a good utility sled is becoming really rare. So if, you, if you're thinking about it, don't think too long because there's nothing better. And it's great when you can drive. Well, let's face it, we don't have any control over it. And I do have a truck on tracks. And driving that thing around in slushy, deep water splashing all over, I parked it. I said, I this on my uh, snowmobile, I could stay on top, and if you hit a soft spot, you floor it. But towards late winter, surprisingly enough, in all of that cold weather, it froze up and people were able to get around, but it took all winter. And then we had, well, Pandora's box open, and then we had uh, the, the uh, virus all over the place. But long and short of it, this winter, be prepared. And remember, if you want to get new tackle, the fire belly spoon coming out from Northland Fishing Tackle and the Rattling Puppet, be ready. Get there and get it quick because those things are going to sell out fast. And we're lucky in Bemidji. We're not far from the factory. <laughs> so, you know, our stores are going to be amply stocked. But there's already already concerns about stuff running out. So if you're thinking about getting, you know, loading up on a bunch of Northland glow shot spoons, eyeball spoons, make a list and do it now and you know, if, if, if you're hard to shop for for Christmas, go buy some stuff and then, you know, and then call it a gift to yourself. But it's the time to do it. And everything's going to be uh, uh, limited. So I'm giving you everybody the heads up. If you want to get something, pull the trigger now uh, from uh, a jig to a wheel fish house. Um, but remember, wheel houses, uh, they were no good last year. And everybody was jammed up on Lake of the Woods. And... Uh, but to drive 24 miles or 20 miles or even 10 miles out to start fishing, and then it's roulette if you're going to end up on the fish, dropping it down on one of the fingers, they plow, big mud flat, not my cup of tea. But it's nice as a, a, a base camp. But after last year when all those houses sunk and all those trucks froze in the ice, we've learned here in Minnesota. I mean, it's happened before, but now it happened again. Just don't. You don't want to be out there in heavy ice and then have the snow, the heavy winds coming because the wind pulverizes the snow and snow is heavier when it's particulate. And when that happened, water was seeping up while people were sleeping out there. And you know the story. And that's not just there; it happened on red. So I'm thinking light, mobile. If you have a house, if you have any uh, questions about being able to get on and get off, don't go on with it or leave it real close to shore where you can get out quick and just go out. You know, drive out farther with a machine or if there's vehicle traffic. But always check the ice. I don't I don't drive unless I drill. And mm-hmm. that's why early winter is a lot of work for me because whether I'm on foot or on a mach- if, if we get the machine time, if there's snow, I always have to drill. It's nice when you can see a crack because you can get a good definition of the ice thickness following a crack out there. And remember, when the ice cracks, it's it's expanding. So then it refreezes, and that spot is solid, unless it's a moving, you know, obviously a pressure ridge. But the pressure of the ice creates these cracks, and you can look down there and get a, a, a visual on how thick the ice is as you're following it. And sometimes uh, you can follow it for a ways and, and drill and follow, but there's other times 
you just got to drill. It's just a lot of work, and you know, get get a, a younger buddy or have your kid go out and drill, drill and measure. The scoop their scoops with with uh, uh, measurements on them, and then or just take a tape measure and hook it on the bottom of the ice. But if there ain't four inches, don't walk. And if there's not enough for a machine or or a vehicle, don't go. And I would think uh, a guy like you or anybody who's very serious about angling, you've got to go with that portable stuff because uh, you got to follow the fish. You do, and I've got a uh, inflatable raft on my sled. Uh, it's a, a nebulous, and I got it a long time ago, and if I get in a pinch, I could pull it. And uh, I always have rope and, and all that stuff. If you don't bring it, then it'll happen, you know. So knock on wood, bring the stuff, and no problems. A, a, a throwable cushion is not that much more stuff to bring. And there's a lot of times I'll take my frayable house and I take the seat out. And then I'll sit on a bucket and that cushion is just perfect. But I make it really light so I've got to pull it through brush or if I get a long way to go. And then have your house behind you on a rope, just tie it around your waist and you could chisel your way out. Because then you distribute the weight differently. And I'm not a dainty guy, I'll admit, but... <laughs> Let, let's put let's put the extra stuff behind me a little ways, and if something does happen, then there's a rope that they can hook a tow truck to pull me out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, well, we know that uh, there's been a lot of pressure on on uh, lakes in the winter time, and certainly on Red Lake, and they they had to make an adjustment this year. There's going to be a three fish, a three walleye limit uh, during ice fishing season on Red. What are your thoughts on that? Well, it, it has to be done. I mean. There's, there's some, some people get to go there lots and lots and lots. And, and some people are there and they get three fish in minutes. Well, are they leaving? Right. The house is there all weekend for days and days and days. It's a really tough situation. So less is all you can do in those, in those situations. And still fun to go there and just get bit on a buckshot spoon, have the fish just hammer it or on a rattle and pump it. Uh, just have it coming and just smash it that's so much fun and there's two lakes that you're guaranteed to get a, a good hard strike sometimes is red lake and lake of the woods now uh leech lake cass lake uh bemidji uh all the bigger bodies of water uh winnebagosh yeah you get some good hits on those lakes also but uh you know early ice on red and red's usually the the best right away and you don't have to go far you go to the break and then that's where everything starts happening and you know, there's people making their living uh, getting you out on the ice, so they're going to check it. And still, it doesn't hurt to check for yourself because, you know, stuff happens and you don't need to be a statistic. It's all about fun. Bro, bros to all my guests today on Fish and Paul Bunyan Country. We talk fishing and then uh, we talk about something I think a little bit more important. Bro, thank you for your time today. We appreciate it. Oh, thanks, Kevin. Good luck and be safe on the ice. This has been Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors, sponsored by Clearbrook Electric, Timberline Sporting Convenience and Black Duck, Pepsi and I Bottling of Bemidji, Bonded Lock and Key, your home for Liberty Safes, Ace on the Lake, and DS Beverages, your Anheuser-Busch distributor in Paul Bunyan Country. Before I wrap it up, some final thoughts about Paul Nelson. Paul knew fishing inside and out. He was a passionate advocate for the sport. He was a passionate advocate for the outdoors. And if you got to know him beyond that, you found out he was a passionate sports fan and passionate about so many different topics in fact until i saw the obituary i had no idea he had been an anthropology and theater major in college you could not pigeonhole paul nelson and i'm going to wrap up today 
Uh, for those of you who have not been able to chase down his obituary in the Bemidji Pioneer or seen it on social media, I'm just going to read that, and that'll do it for this week. On October 19th, Paul Nelson passed away at home due to complications related to cancer. Paul was born in Rush City, Minnesota on August 29, 1957. Paul graduated from Rush City High School in 1975 and then completed his bachelor's degree at the University of Minnesota Morris, where he double majored in anthropology and theater. Paul and his wife Sandy then moved to Bemidji, Minnesota, where Paul started Bemidji Area Lakes Guide Service. Paul worked as a fishing guide for 38 years and was a regular contributor to the Bemidji Pioneers Outdoor Section, PBTV's Fishing Tip of the Week, KBUN's Fish and Paul Bunyan Country, and many other fishing-related publications and broadcasts. Paul was best known for his clever wit, his empathy, and extensive knowledge of subjects ranging from anthropology and gardening to hunting and fishing, and the histories of every Minnesota sports team. As a guide and outdoor rider, Paul was a strong advocate for catch and release and other responsible fishing practices that would help keep the sport alive for generations to come. Paul won many fishing tournaments over the years and even held the state record for catch and release muskie length. Paul was also a diehard Minnesota sports fan, whether it was the state high school hockey and football tournaments, gopher athletics, or Minnesota's many men's and women's professional teams. Paul was a devoted and nurturing husband to his late wife, Sandy, as well as dedicated father and grandfather. Paul's guiding season allowed him to stay home in the winters to help raise his daughters. His daughters fondly remember the many days they spent on the boat or on the ice with their dad. His daughters are also grateful for the hundreds of hours of home videos Paul recorded, the late nights he spent proofreading their school papers, and the loud cheering, and occasional rough hassling, at their sporting events. They'll miss the support and guidance their dad provided, as well as his pep talks advising them when they needed to, quote, toughen up, buttercup, end quote. In addition to spending time with his family, Paul enjoyed spending time with the many friends he made over the years. His close friends will miss their daily conversations with Paul, who always made himself available to chat. Paul is preceded in death by his wife of 37 years, Sandy, his brother David of Bemidji, and his parents, Ellen and Luther. Paul is survived by daughters Javon, Travis, and Erica, granddaughter Kylie, his sisters Janet Gordon and Barb Jose, brother John, his dog Eddie, as well as a large extended family and friends he considered to be family. A memorial will be planned for next summer as part of a youth fishing tournament to be hosted in Paul's memory. Additional details for the events will be made available closer to the event date. In lieu of flowers, a memorial fund, the Paul A. Nelson Memorial, has been set up at First National Bank Bemidji, P.O. Box 670, Bemidji, Minnesota, 56619. Proceeds will go towards improvements and upkeep of the fish cleaning building at the Lake Bemidji State Park. Rest in peace, Paul. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 2. I could see beyond the Black Hills and the way they called for exploration. I could feel the air, the way it paints against skin and fills hungry lungs. I could hear the way the water ran for miles and the way the bison grazed, the way our boots meet the earth as we step past expected. I could imagine my time in South Dakota, and I wish to go back, because there's so much South Dakota, so little time. GEICO asks, how would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you would. And when it comes to great rates on insurance, GEICO can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and RV. Even help with homeowners or renters coverage. Plus, add an easy-to-use mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, and more, and GEICO is an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you could save. It's easy. 
Simply go to GEICO.com or contact your local agent today.